0: You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And
1: that song you just heard a piece of is called Chavi. It was on the contemporary jazz Grammy Award winning Snarky Puppy live at Royal Albert Hall. And you'll hear a little bit more of it leading into the interview that we'll have with Snarky Puppy founder Michael Lee. But first, Seth is going to tell us
0: about Osiris osirispod.com folks check it out a plethora of podcasts and one, one of them is the jam podcast and jam themselves being a uh partner of Osiris I want to let everyone know about the cluster file flies you be I would say files me. Jambase presents cluster flies it's an it covers a compilation uh, reimagining fish's album farmhouse which is on its 20th anniversary uh so they've put this together with a bunch of different musicians that have like rethought and are covering uh the album itself the it's a three lp album uh and the artwork is with uh by jim pollock uh but here's the deal you got to pre-order this because it's going to sell out uh and you can you can order it starting uh through it's actually you can only order it through may 3rd uh and you can go to Clusterflies.com for purchasing information as well as full album credits and the track list details. But I mean, if you're a fish nerd like me, uh you're gonna love it. If you're like Rob and you're a music nerd, uh, there's a ton of different musicians. Uh, one of them is Sylvan Esso. Oh, uh, I love which, Sylvan Esso. Yeah, right. I mean, so it's not just jam bands that are doing it. Lindy uh Lindsay Liu, one of our former guests, is uh uh doing a it, Ray, Riley Walker. Brandon Baylor, or I mean, um, Brandon Bayless. Yes, that's it. (laughs) Your favorite band. You got his name wrong. I love it. it Check it out, folks. Oh, no, it is Brandon Bayless. Clusterflies.com. And then check out Jam Bass' podcast for uh, some stuff they'll be doing on it. But yeah. All right.
1: All right, Zap. You know, I'm excited about this one. Michael League has had a. Excellent career with Snarky Puppy and as a producer, and he's done all kinds of stuff. We, we don't talk about the Grammys or David Crosby. Uh, he's won four Grammys. He's worked with David Crosby. You can look at our, uh, you listen to our other interview if you want to hear about that kind of stuff. But we talk about all kinds of other stuff, mainly the new record, which is very powerful, as you'll hear in the interview. And uh, life, really- we talk
0: about life.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but uh, you know, he was kind of he was cooped up in Spain during all this, looking at America from afar, remote viewing, if you will and um just him and his girlfriend and he was uh, very uh you know exploring mortality and injustice and divisions in the world and but he conveys it in a really uh, you know beautiful artistic way not not preachy at all you know it's very very cool uh,
0: he approaches it as an ethnomusicologist would
1: yes or an anthropologist he's he's kind of a um uh anthropologists want to be i think and someday he may actually be a
0: historian individual. slash yeah he's he's a he's yeah. a remarkable human and a pleasure to talk with
1: but well, we want to um uh, give away three cds of this uh
0: no you say way, cds Is it a cds is it vinyl is it a tape i mean your, your terminology not, is always weird rob i know but you know that it's tough time for
1: vinyl right now by the way the record is called so many me And the new fall is right where I fall. And that'll be at the end of this. uh, We're going to play it at the end of this episode. Um, But um, it's going to be CD because they're not sure about the vinyl. But what we're going to do, we're going to ask you three questions. You can, Seth, did you know the episode number on? Oh, no, wait, we're going to do it for the best of. Michael was part of our five-year anniversary twice. He's the only artist who was on there. who We had two separate clips.
0: Folks, that was question number one. He just gave you the answer. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, but we ask you uh, to because we want to reward our most careful listeners and the people most enthusiastic about Michael League with with uh, with a copy of the new CD. And who knows, maybe our friends at uh, Ground Up will throw something else in there for you. Not sure. But if you answer these three questions and send it to Inside WTNS at Gmail Inside Out WTNS at Gmail By the way, we're found on Twitter and Facebook at the same Inside Out WTNS
0: and Instagram.
1: <clears throat> and instagram thank you so answer these three questions number 1 number 1 what did michael identify as his only intimidating moment when working with david crosby number 2 number 2 what vocal recommendation that michael gave Elias achoa and his band did michael explain to us and number 3 from number this number 3 from this episode with which musician did Michael
0: just record a duo record?
1: There you go. Answer those three records, email it in. First three that we get,
0: you're going to win. Correct. The this- first ones that get a correct. First, three Yes. They get a correct.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Seth. Cool. Um, but this is just a tweener, Seth, so let's go right to it.
0: All right. Uh, well, shall I roll the tape or off? <laughs>
1: first uh, sat down with you in a hotel in Atlanta. We interrupted you from working on what I believe was the music, uh, not the lyrics, the music for what would become this record, which was initially working titled Solo Record 2015. It's been a long time coming, huh?
2: (laughs) Yeah, and actually, I mean, I feel like it's kind of been like an even longer time coming just because this music is, is actually more of the kind of stuff that I listened to growing up than the music that I guess people generally associate me with, you know, mm. like, like Snarky Puppy or stuff like that. You know, I wasn't growing up listening to weird, large ensemble, instrumental jazz based music. You know, I was listening to pop. But here's the thing. You wrote the music
1: for years and years. But then, to let our listeners know, you're living in Spain, you have, uh, you're in the north of Spain, your girlfriend's in the south of Spain, and you were able to get to her just before Spain started with its very stringent shutdown.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So then you're in Spain, sort of remote viewing what's going on in the United States, and this is when the lyrics are, start coming to you, and, and they're a big part of your exploration of mortality and the divisions and uh, injustices and so forth.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I I I was talking to someone today, um, that asked like, yeah, wow, the lyrics on this record are like the songs are pretty dark compared to what people think of you as kind of like a bubbly, you know, <laughs> positive guy. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, everybody's a little bit of everything, right? Like, no one's just happy or just sad. But, um, but also like, yeah, I mean, you know, I wrote all the lyrics and actually almost all the music, um during a global pandemic where I was sitting in a a living room, you know, not able to hang out with anyone other than my girlfriend. So, you know, it was, uh, it was definitely um, uh, a little easier to be introspective and dark (laughs) than where I like on Miami beach, you know, surrounded by a bunch (laughs) of my friends or something, you know?
0: Well, I'm also amazed that you were trapped in, not trapped, but you were, you were just you and your girlfriend, and locked down together, and there's no baby out of it, so you were one of the few. Congratulations! <laughs> Must have been busy.
2: <laughs> you made it through the pandemic without a baby
0: being trapped in with your lover. That's huge!
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, yeah, I guess that's a bullet dodged. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well said. Uh, you sound like me. Um, I want to ask some specific questions about songs in a minute, but some general things first. Um, I've heard you in the past speak of your concern for an artist judging themselves while they're composing or creating, that they should just let the art flow. So I'm thinking Michael League working with Snarky Puppy, now he's doing a Michael League record. It seems like it'd be more of a personal challenge for you to live up to this. So I'm wondering, is this, because it has your name on it. Um, So I'm wondering, is that's why, a big part of why you brought in
2: Nick Hard to
1: co-produce?
2: You know, Nick is with me, 90% of the records that I make. Nick is there and, you know, even if he's not technically a producer or a co-producer, you know, the way in which he engineers is so hands-on that really he, you know, I actually had a conversation with him about a year ago, I think, where I just said, you know what, from now on, you're just being listed as a producer on everything that I do or a (laughs) co-producer. You know, just because it's like, you know, the records would sound completely different without him. Um, He's not just... You know the kind of person that just sits there and does what you ask him to do. You know what I mean? He's like really forthcoming with suggestions and, and feedback, and not an and, and not at all in a, in an over overbearing way. He's very subtle and low key. But um, but the the footprint that he has on records, every record that he works on is massive. So, um, but I would say that in this case, his role was even more instrumental because it was literally just me and him, you know, I mean, there were, no one else was involved in this record aside from the two of us. So, um, so I definitely leaned on him harder for input and, and for feedback, things like that.
0: Was it weird to only be able to get that input and feedback through like sharing of stuff and not actually physically being together and, and doing it together?
2: Well, actually he was here. Oh, he was. Okay. He was that. here because Nick, also moved to Spain, um, but he, he moved like uh, like actually during the pandemic. I think oh, wow. I think I think he came like in June or so. I can't remember. But um, so no, we were in the room together. It was just the two of okay. us here. So that, no, that was very helpful. Um, it was yeah, it was great. It was super cool. And I mean, it really interesting for me also. Like you know, just waking up in the morning and being the artist. I'm not. I'm definitely not used to that. I'm used to like my primary concern being making sure that the tribe is happy. You know what I mean? And like, what's the best overall thing? Like I've never really had to sit down and think about like, actually what's best for my voice or what's best for me as an artist in this moment. Like I just, it sounds funny, but I've actually never really thought of myself as an artist. And I and normally I, I think of myself more like, a—I mean, I am an artist, you know, I, I mean, whatever, but like, like the mentality that an artist has of kind of like, how can I, you know, what can I do to enhance my art? Like that thought rarely occurs to me. Normally it's like, how do I get this guy to stop being pissed at this guy? And how do I make sure that this thing happens? And, you know, it, it's more kind of uh, more, more about pragmatism, my daily life than, than, uh, than that. And it was interesting to just suddenly be the actual focal point. Um, and in certain moments, uncomfortable. you know.
0: What was the most challenging uh, element of that? Like what was the most challenging realization that you had to kind of like deal with, with that within that was um, it like maintaining your voice. Was it eating healthy? Was it like ego? Like, you know,
2: Um I think the hardest thing for me was, um you know, I'm, I'm, I was definitely raised, especially by my mother to be a people pleaser, you know, to make sure that everybody's happy and everybody's comfortable. And so that's like a big motivator for me in general in my daily life. So, you know, if someone's de- relying on me for something or depending on me for something, it gets done. But when I'm the one that's relying on me for something, I tend to procrastinate a lot more. I tend to become more distracted by other things because the only person I'm letting down is myself. And that's a much easier person to let down for me than literally any other human being on earth. <laughs> so it was really funny because you know, I was tracking lead vocals, which is, I've sung backing vocals for, on a lot of records, and I feel very comfortable doing that. But doing lead vocals is not a thing that, that I feel as comfortable doing. So, you know, I started to do it with Nick here. And eventually I just said, after a couple of days, I was like, Nick, you know what, man, I think just go home and, and I'll just do it. Right. Like actually where I'm sitting right now, like in front, in the control room, like in front of the Pro Tools rig, like not in the tracking room. Like, I think I just need to be alone to do these vocals. So I did. But what was funny is I found myself like pushing them off like I'd come up to do them and then I'd just start doing emails or you know which for someone who knows me they might be like wait what you know because I'm normally like a very uh, you know uh, task kind of driven person and and I don't do like a lot of like faffing I think is the word in in England we don't really have it in the, I guess we just say dicking around in the U S but like, I, you know, I don't generally don't do a lot of that, but I found myself doing it with the lead vocal thing just because the only kind of deadline was my deadline, you know? And, um, it was interesting. It was, I kind of got a glimpse of what a lot of artists Mm -hmm. get a day get, have in their daily lives, which I I generally don't, you know, but if
0: you're, if you're going ahead and, and setting, are you, when you sit down to do these vocals, when you schedule yourself, you say, okay, you know what? I, I know I said, I'm going to do them today, but you know what? I'm going to do them at three o'clock today. And then like, do you, no. did you, were you able to do that?
2: No, I, I, I mean, if it were literally any other person in the world, I would have done that. I would have said the vocal sessions at three, but because it's in my house and I'm here, I was just like, yeah, I'll just do it when I feel like doing it, you know, and that kind of elongated the process to only at the very end. And the reason for that is because Nick wasn't here. If Nick would have been here, then I would have felt guilty about wasting his time. So I would have done it. But since it was just me, there was no guilt. So there was no real progress. You know, it was funny because during when we were tracking all the instruments, it was, we were like, you know, it was like a machine. You know, we were every day coming in 10 to 10, knocking stuff out, you know, for a month. Um, Is there a chance
1: that vocals for you put you in a more vulnerable spot than just your normal playing, writing arranging is there something about sure. singing that uh, adds a more vulnerability than that maybe you just wanted to put it off first in part
2: because of that yeah maybe subconsciously that had something to do with it um yeah it definitely is more vulnerable and um by far the element of the record that i was least comfortable with not backing vocals because that's totally you know something that i'm very comfortable with and i've done a yeah. lot but that's different. Uh, though. That's support It's different. Yeah, it's different. It's very different. So it was uh, it was it was definitely, you know, I, I. maybe that maybe that did play play a role in it. I, I should ask a therapist about it.
0: Well, <laughs> we happen to have one right here. Cats, will you please come up? Remember, do you remember Dr. Katz, the uh, from uh, I love, yeah, from yeah, the
1: the best. Oh, th- love that show. That was such a great show. Oh, Jonathan yeah. Katz is brilliant yeah. and so underappreciated. Great reference stuff. OK, uh, Michael. <laughs> Before we get into the songs, one last thing. I find that most of the close-minded people in my life are those with limited perspective. Either they don't travel much, or they've lived in the same region, region their whole life and all that. To what extent do you think these lyrics and your music is informed and helped by not just the fact that you travel for your work, but when you guys do travel, you really make an effort to get into the local culture of everywhere you play, time permitting. How, how much do you think that's informing you as a musician, and more importantly now with this record, as a
2: lyricist? Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I can't imagine who I would be as a musician if I hadn't been part of a group of people that, that actively seeks to engage with the places that they go to and the cultures in those places, you know? Um, I mean, at this point, it's like as much a part of my musical identity or DNA as, as, as anything else, like the experiences that I've had in, in other parts of the world and learn, you know, I lived in Istanbul for a few months. I, I, you know, go to Morocco half a dozen times every year. And, you know, I have teachers in those places and, and actually, you know, the foundation of this solo record, there's no drum set on it. It's, it's all Turkish and Kurdish and Moroccan percussion, um, fulfilling the role of a drum set. So, you know, those rhythms are in me now the, the, you know, obviously in a different way than they're in a, a, a Turk or a Kurd or a Moroccan, but um but they are you know they're a part of me in the way that jazz vocabulary is a part of me I wasn't born with jazz vocabulary you know but it it emerged after studying it and um so yeah you know I mean I mean that's kind of spills into a bigger conversation of like what is musical authenticity and what do we have the right to play and how do we engage with music that's not quote our own you know or whatever which is you know a totally different topic, but, um, you know, lyrically, I would say that it wasn't so much lyrically, I would say that, that in traveling, you know, I think I, I try, and I think most people who travel try to be observers, you know, you don't come into a country and say, well, that's weird that you do this and you, and that and that's, you know, you yeah, come in met and... my father <laughs> <laughs> that I, I think that's true. I have not, but, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's tempting to think that way, but then you go to enough places and you realize that, like, all of your your whole sense of weirdness is based on what you perceive to be normal, which is just your shit. You know what I mean? It's not, there's no normal. There's just the shit you're used to and the shit that you're not. So it's like, um, you know, what was interesting was being in Spain, you know, now I've been here for, like, over a year and without, without leaving Europe, you know, I've gone to to other European countries, but I haven't been to the United States in over a year. And, um, our country's weird, really weird. (laughs) I mean, I know I shouldn't use that word weird, but it's like, you know, I mean, it's, I'll just say it's different from most other countries. Big Island, as you say, it's a big Island. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, there's a lot of, uh, Sentinel species? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of strange things going on that, that I didn't even recognize until I had spent a significant amount of time away from it. And then I was like, wow, I never thought that was weird, but that's like really weird. You know, (laughs) I mean, you know, just fundamental differences in the way that people look at the world and what they think is, is important for government to provide. Or, I mean, like, you know, whatever. I mean, that's another deep dark rabbit hole, but, but I think that informed the lyrics quite a bit was being away from all this stuff going on in the US with George Floyd and with Donald Trump and with, you know, and like, you know, watching this kind of tectonic shift in American society and, and being American and not being there for it was very, very strange, like looking at it from a distance. It was a, it was a, a unique experience. I think it's important to point out that as we are having this
1: conversation, the jury is deliberating on the George Floyd uh, decision. So uh, if, if, if any of our comments seem out of context, that may be why, because everything
2: is going to change based on that verdict. A lot of things are going to change. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Speaking of shifts, d- you know, regardless yes. of, regardless of which way that verdict goes, things, things will change. Well,
0: what was it like to be in, in Spain at the time when uh, they're like uh, to before I even ask the question, like being in America, knowing we have all the social injustice going on and then seeing the world take notice and actually protest for as an American here in America, I'm like, whoa, like there's protests in Europe about injustice yep. here. In what India. was it like for you to, 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 to experience that not being here and not even, you know, and to, yeah.
2: Um, well, it was interesting because I was ingesting everything through social media because there was no, I couldn't go outside. First, I, will, I was gonna say I couldn't go outside and talk to an American about it, but the truth is I couldn't actually even go outside because the, the Spanish lockdown was right, right, right. so they're Very intense. strict, very strict. Yeah, we, we were allowed out once a week per house to buy groceries, hmm. you know, that was the, that was the rule. Um, so it was like really intense so that like that being coupled with this thing of seeing everything unfold on the internet and and then of course calling friends and talking to them about it and um uh you know that was that was definitely surreal and i felt like like i should have been there i should should have been in the protests and um but i kind of found a, a bit of uh of use i guess in in trying to actually rather than trying to kind of live vicariously and put myself in the us to actually look more at like what's going on in Europe and what's going on specifically in Spain. Um, and what I could do to kind of raise a little bit of, of awareness about that stuff. Um, you know, because the truth is like, America has a lot of problems, a lot of very serious problems. Um, but you know, Europe has really equal blame, just they don't have the problems because they don't have the human, um, a legacy living among them here, you know, where, whereas like, you know, I mean, you walk down the streets of Barcelona and you see a big Christopher Columbus statue and you go into an opera house or a museum or a palace and it's like that money is blood money that built those buildings. But the difference is that they're, the descendants of the people who bled are not on the streets of Spain. By by and large, you know, I mean, some are, but by and large, like, you know, you go to France, like, you know, most black people in France are Africans who immigrated to France. They're not descendants of slaves that, that lost their name hundreds of years. Ago. I mean, there are some for sure, but it's different. Whereas like in Brazil or in the United States, you know, or in, I mean, most Latin American countries, you know, you, you have... Like the, the the descendants of 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 a of, of a slave trade, you know, living there, like you know, six members of my band are in that category. Um, so so it makes sense that the that the problems that occur in Brazil and the United States regarding racism um, are more visible than the problems that occur in Belgium, one of the most brutal you know, colonial powers, you know, or, or Holland or, or the UK or, or France or Spain or Portugal, or like, I mean, pick your country, you know, I mean, it's so it's interesting because obviously there's, there's racial problems in every country in the world. Um, but they don't inflame to the degree that they inflame in in places like brazil and the united states just just i think for that reason i mean it's i'm not a i'm not a you know uh, an anthropologist or or a social scientist but i i think that 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 plays a big role in that so i've been taking part in talks um with with various people around europe about this kind of thing and, and specifically through my lens rather than trying to talk like a social scientist to talk about it through music and you know right. that I started uh, an ensemble at the conservatory in Barcelona this year called the Black American Music Ensemble instead of calling it modern music or jazz like like you know and 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 like let's really talk about it for what it is cuz most of the time when people say modern music they're not talking about like the 2021 incarnation of fado you know they're talking about funk jazz soul rock yeah. and roll hip
0: urban music
2: <laughs> right Or right yeah <laughs> Yeah. Like urban, like Lisbon urban, like, you know, so I, I think that, the, you know, in this way, I feel like maybe I have an opportunity to exert some kind of influence in a positive way that isn't me like really stepping too far out of my lane, you know? Um, and it's been beautiful, like investigating with these students, like, the first concert was all music from Texas. You know, we investigated all these musicians from Texas, from Beyonce to Roy Hargrove, you know, to Badu and and, and Kirk Franklin and all this stuff. And now we're doing, tomorrow night, they're doing a concert of musicians from Philly and New York. And we're tracing like the lineage of the, and how these musicians interrelate, you know, and like doing it really like actually looking at the cultural and historical background of this music that they grew up loving and not really knowing much about in that way. And also doing talks about racism and, you know, yeah, so it's been interesting. Law-like. It's well, very
0: quick. Yeah, kind of, but then that he does that a little bit too, doesn't he? With his music. I mean, he's a,
2: yeah, he's basically a historian, you know, yeah. but I mean, shouldn't we all be as music? I mean, and actually kind of, aren't we all as musicians? If we've done our homework in any kind of way about the music that we love to play, we know something about its history, you know? Um, so just try, I'm just trying to encourage these students to be more curious really about, yeah. about, how this music arrived in their lives and, and how they can engage with it further.
1: If I may offer a suggestion to the listeners and, and I, I suggest you do this after listening to the end of this podcast, <laughs> but I would, they've, ar- they've already left Robert. Uh, <laughs> there's no but, one um, left. Go to YouTube and search uh, roots and reinvention and Brandy Butler and Michael league is a very, very good conversation there. Uh, partly
2: along the lines of what you're talking about there. Do you remember oh. doing that? I, I do that was yeah yeah Brandy is an incredible musician and activist from reading PA um, that grew up in a, in a mixed-race family and and she's very active in politics and, and especially anti-racism politics in Switzerland. Incredible. Let me
1: say, a lot of people are reticent to put on these sort of things because they think someone's going to get emotional, they're going to get yelled at and all this. This is extremely cerebral, some very uncomfortable topics approach in an extremely intelligent, non-political fashion. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, Brandy is second to none, in my opinion, of people that I've had this co- kind of conversation with in her ability to speak in a way that does not um, target people, that doesn't make people feel defensive, that really just opens people up to ideas and and encourages them to kind of seek truth, you know, in a very level-headed way. She's incredible. I can't can't say enough about her. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some of these songs. Ever the actor. We were
1: given this uh, description of all these songs, which is really well done, but the Ever the
0: Actor one just leaped out of the computer and bludgeoned
1: me in the head. Actually,
0: Rob, go ahead. Just, uh, so we have the lyrics to the songs like you mentioned, but we don't have all the music. What I want to do at some point today is have Rob, after he read the lyrics, right, tell you what he thinks the music would sound like, and you tell <laughs> oh, him no. if he's right or wrong. This is oh, like no, the, uh, no.
2: It's like that Beck record where he released the sheet music before he released <laughs> right? the, uh, the audio.
0: It came out in December. It's called Holy Sheet.
1: Oh, <laughs> no, but if you go to YouTube, wow. there's a lot of great... There's a lot of great versions of that, of those songs as well. As a matter of fact, our TRI, uh, Jason Crosby at TRI Studios with the Bob Weir, they did a bunch. But,
0: but everything. Yeah, go listen, back to it, Rob. Go ahead. Go listen
1: ahead, to this description. We have so many people in- inside each of us, entire casts of characters that we choose to bring on stage, depending on the moment. This song is about the desire to find the protagonist in a sea of extras. And then the beginning stanza is one light upon the stage awaiting its cast, a single soul steps in the glow to play whatever role you ask. Wow. Where, did you have any can you walk us through the genesis of this song?
2: Yeah, you know what's funny is that the music of this song, the the um, the chord progression of the verses was actually written um maybe twelve years ago when I first moved to New York City. Um, and I was hired to write like roughly kind of like dance, like soft house music for a website of a wedding band. <laughs> wow. And I, and I came up with this chord progression and I liked it. And so I said like, nah, I'm, I'm going to keep this for me, you know? And so it sat on my computer for, yeah, 12 years. Um, and, then, and then I pulled it up um, and the chorus melody actually, came from a song that I wrote uh, alongside, I mean, I wrote the chorus, but the verse and and bridge and stuff were written by Corey Henry and and Sput Seawright, two members of, uh, former members of Snarky Puppy. um, When the three of us were making a track in order to audition to be the house band for all of Atlantic Records' R&B artists. This is really fun. I mean, we're kind of touching on like, you know, some tangents like we could go deep down but basically snarky I love, puppy I love your tangents snarky puppy in a certain moment was in in a position to become like the mo kind of the you know the wrecking crew or like you know the, the, the tones. Kind of, right yeah Like but for an entire label of of a major label of R&B artists uh and they didn't like the track and they didn't hire us <laughs> but uh so once again I kind of squirreled away this section and it turned out that these two sections really fit nicely together musically. Um, and yeah, the song's basically just about that. It's like about this thing of like, you know, I guess everybody asks the question of like, who am I expecting to get this direct answer? Like, oh, this is the real me when I'm nice and loving and caring. This is the real me. And when I'm a total dickhead, that's like just like the devil inside of me. But, you know, it's like it's all us. All the stuff is us and depending on who we're around and how we feel and what we want f- from certain situations, you know, we kind of like present different characters, you know, and, um, and that's kind of what that song is about. It's about like kind of the malleability of the human personality. And um, uh, it's a topic that intrigues me a lot because I witnessed myself being different people, you know, uh, I think we all do. But i think we oversimplify it often and just think of it as like there's the real me and then there's this other stuff but, but it's, it's like it's like, all you
0: but isn't it all, it's th- it ties into like when you know you talk when i talk to someone that's a jazz musician i'll be like yeah cats dog. you know like you kind of like you kind of <laughs> like change your lingo a little bit you know right yeah well, I mean, code
2: switching is like a is a is is a natural thing you know, I mean, it's not.
0: Because you uh, want to relate in a lot of ways.
2: Exactly. And then that's the, that's the exact point is the reason why we change the way that we are and the way that we talk is, is because we're trying to deepen the, the level of communication that we can have in that moment. You know, that we, yeah, we want to reach people. Um, so, it, it, I mean, that's interesting. But then there's a line where it's like, okay, now you're just being false, you know, and it's like, where is that line? And, you know, it's an interesting mm-hmm. question.
0: Or then if you even think even further, and I see this because I have a son and it's, and I remember even like when I was in middle school and like the girl, one of the girls decided to start joking about Valley girls and starts talking like that. Well, she kept talking like that and talking like that became that. And right. you, and you know, and sometimes I could see, and this happens with TV where my son picks up a way that someone talks on the, on a, on a TV show. And then, and then all of a sudden creates like, where's he getting this attitude from? And it's, it's so easily to define when you look back and like, well, what were the influences? And it's like, oh my God, like, you know, he's trying to, he, you, you start mimicking these things. Sure.
1: I grew up in Boston. A lot of Boston accents come out of you first you're imitating mimicking people. Next thing you know, a decade goes by and that's the way you talk.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's like music too. You know, this is how we learn music because we hear people playing a certain way and we imitate them. And then we process that through our own filter and we express it in our way. But ultimately we're kind of incapable of creating a new color as musicians. We can only combine colors that we've heard to form, you know, our, our own, but it's not really an inherently new color. It's just a different combination, you know, of that. And, And I think as people, it's kind of, it's definitely the same thing living in New York, Shaped my personality in certain ways. Living here is shaping my personality. Living in Texas shaped, you know, being a military kid. It's like it all kind of mm-hmm. combines together.
0: So that first note that was ever played in the in the universe is it, like <laughs> colors, right? The first note is every everything. It's like it literally is everything.
2: I think it is. I never thought about it that way. I'd have to think about that for a long time before I I it's, guess I could it's
0: every rhythm. It's every you
2: know I mean kind of, <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, makes you think about what was that first note. And does it count like, you know, what is art? do you, should you, does it have to be trying to be art to be art? Like what was the first moment that a human being created sound in order to communicate emotion rather than to communicate something practical, like, Oh shit, there's a lion behind you. That's about to eat you. You know, I don't know if the sound that was uttered then would be, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting, it goes
0: from that to the lion sleeps at night, <laughs>
2: <laughs> which came first the
0: melody or the beat man. <laughs>
2: I mean, I think it's a it's a it's a very interesting uh, Uh it's an interesting question. And actually, you know, when I'm when I'm teaching, I encourage my students to think of themselves as as actually um, a point on a line coming from that first cave person who created artistic sound, you know, and that that really is our tradition. Like that's our ancestor musically. That's like where we're coming from, like, you know, and to try to engage music, engage with music in that way. Um, And normally this, this thought is shared with university students, you know, because a lot of the time you can really lose sight of, of why you started playing when you're in this kind of hyper academic, you know, environment, you know, you get stressed about things, you're getting graded, you know? And so I like to bring that, that kind of story into the, um, into the equation there, just to try to get people to reconnect with like the, the primal. Element of of why we play music, and also the fundamental and pragmatic, practical element of why we play—you know—to communicate specific ideas. Now the lead single is right where I fall.
1: It has an accompanying video to it that is at first disturbing, but with each additional uh, viewing, it it actually you see the hope and the self. Uh, uh, I, well, let's get that in a minute. First, I just want to talk about songwriting in general because back in the '80s, when MTV and VH1. Uh, first hit the scene a lot of music people thought they would steal potential allegories of the songs and kind of make too much of a definition of the song so it's interesting to me that someone like you who I respect as a performer and a a lyricist and a right well uh, just the whole thing you feel the visual element is a key part of the genesis of your musical creations so um, to what extent, with right? To what extent is that video like the initial genesis of your creation of that song? Um,
2: yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. That often when I'm writing, whether it's a song with lyrics or or an instrumental song, I'm always kind of picturing a music video. You know, I, probably just because I was born in 1984, it's like you know, like I was born at the beginning, basically, of music videos. So this is the way that I ingested music for for a large part of my childhood. Um, and also, I I'd like to think of things in kind of a cinematic way, and and like it it helps to direct the music, I think, and helps to prevent me from going down these overly nerdy musical um, holes, you know, um, and to kind of keep the, the 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 subject in mind, the message in mind, I, I guess I should say, and keep so, it relatable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and thematic and motivic, and 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 in in the in in terms of this music video, um, it wasn't what I was thinking about when I wrote the song. I was actually just thinking about birds, you know, because the song is kind of, uh, um, it, it's, you know, the, the point of this of this song, right, where I fall is, is about the way that people deal with the world crumbling around them, that when, like anxiety or stress or, or, or whatever, hardship, and a lot of people really like loved, like to be loved. You know, like love in in these situations, they want people to hold them and comfort them and talk to them. A lot of people want to just speak with others and share how they feel. And then others like me just don't want to be around anyone. You know, they want to crash it, crash and, crash and burn. Yeah, yeah. crash, crash and burn on their own and build themselves back up however they can and kind of not let anyone into the blast radius. Basically, you know, exactly. Um, and so that's what the song is about, you know, and, but it's, you know, the, it's sung basically, you know, it's an, basically there's analogies with, with, with birds and, 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 um, because there's kind of solitary creatures that live at a height and when you live at a height, there's a long way to go down, you know? Um, so this was the image in my head and also appears in the lyrics several times, you know, um, this even over the credits, of,
1: even over the credits.
2: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And actually, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And the, the the artwork on the on the yeah, it reflects that. And, and uh, so I was thinking more about that. And then when we went to make the music video, um, I was thinking about that. And then I was like, you know what? I mean, my whole life, Snarky Puppy, Bokante, David Crosby, Band of, you know, whatever. All these groups that I've played with, I I never really put myself um in a vulnerable position because there's this like team and also there's like a bunch of badass musicians so it's like me for me to step in front of them wouldn't just be um selfish it would be kind of idiotic and, and counterproductive you know um but uh also with those bands the music we create is a reflection of the group mentality and the group ethos and all of those individual personalities and in this case it's just me so like You know, I thought, well, I could do something esoteric with birds, but maybe it would be interesting to actually just put me out there because this song is about me and how I deal with shit, you know. So uh, the video, it's definitely like several steps forward from uh, the way that I would normally project myself publicly i mean even just like not wearing a shirt for me was like kind of like whoa, oh, wow this is especially you know after a year of like covid belly you know i was like yeah but screw it you know like let's let's do it and and let's make it uncomfortable make it weird make it personal and 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 make it something that my mom will not like you know if you wanted to so make I, it uncomfortable you should have me on there with no shirt on
3: oh <laughs> <laughs> that
1: would have been none of them on the
0: screen rob <laughs>
1: But listen, I, I I don't want to break down the video too much because there's all kinds of stuff that people can take whatever meaning they want. But the tax and the leech on the keys. So first, it's just tax. And then it's I think a leech. It's seem a to be encouraging it's your. That's a what? It's a long, long worm. Yeah. And they seem to be encouraging your fingers toward the black keys.
3: Oh, yes.
2: Is that intended? No, it's not um, intended. Because we all no. know the Blackies. We do. We do. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, that that wasn't intended. I should say it was so that I sound smarter. But it, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was absolutely not intended. It was just there be, because, you know, also I'm in Catalonia, right? Which is the home of Gaudí and Dali and um, uh, a lot of people who really bent people's ideas of per- perception, you know, and especially with, you know, kind of super surrealist stuff in Dali's case. So you know, I was like, man, we've got this all Catalan film crew. I live here in this Catalan village, like let's let's milk this, you know, and in general, I'm a huge, Dali's my favorite painter. So I, you know, I'm a huge fan of surrealism. And so we basically just tried to create this video in which nothing is in its right place. You know, that everything, if you look at any object in the video, it's slightly out of place or very out of place. Um, and that's how we feel when we're, when we're ex- experiencing anxiety or deep stress or the world collapsing around us, it's like nothing is right, you know? And um, so we tried to reflect that. Your stated
1: goal is to produce 12 records in this year, ah. one a month. This is apparently the first of it. I wanna know, is your, are you you're gonna do a duo record with Bill Lawrence this year? Is that gonna be one of them? It's done,
2: yeah. We, we it's done? It four days ago, yeah. Oh,
1: so walk us through that. First of all, you have this big ensemble, you decided to work with him alone. How did you decide initially to make that decision? And then moving from there, how do you decide, wow, this is, we could also create music together and just do our own thing. What was yeah. it about Bill?
2: Well, I mean, Bill's been, you know, an incredibly close friend of mine since we met, you know, we're kind of like brothers. So, um, you know, I moved to Europe a year and a half ago. So we were closer, but we never actually even, Talked about the idea of doing a duo um, until covid and then a promoter i think came to us or maybe it was our manager mike chadwick uh, he manages both of us separately um someone brought up the idea of like what about a duo you know um you don't remember who i don't it was either mike chadwick or enrico yubati i i can't remember but someone i'll 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 find out and uh so you know the question was like okay a duo that's practical but like you know what about content what can we play you know so maybe we can adapt some songs that we've written and then do some covers and it was all for this Italian tour basically it was a two and a half week tour of Italy and and Sardinia which is Italy technically but maybe don't tell that to a Sardinian I guess and uh (laughs) And, and we rented, I rented like an Audi or something in Barcelona and drove, you know, 14 hours to, to East Northeastern Italy and Bill flew in and we just had like a two and a half week vacation of playing these gigs, no tour manager, no sound engineer, like make our own schedules every day, go to the beach whenever we want, no tourists because it was covid Um, I mean, it was amazing and we were having, you know, so much fun every night. We didn't have to set up this huge stage. It was, it was awesome. But what
1: about material wise? What was the material and, and how did it evolve? Was it most, was it covers and originals and as you went along more and more originals?
2: It was, um, largely, it was about 50, 50. It was like half covers, half originals, but the originals were songs that Bill had written for his band or I had written for Snarky Puppy. OK. And, and and we did the whole tour like that. Then we said we got to make a record and we're not going to make a record of covers. So let's write some stuff, some bespoke music here. So we wrote, I think, 15 original songs for the duo between the two of us. Some are my songs for the duo. Some are his songs for the duo. And some are songs that we both wrote together. But all of them really bespoke um, for the duo. And and we recorded them here at my house and mixed them did it all in a week and uh so yeah so that's done which is great and it'll be coming out in a couple months july what are some of the other 10. Other some of the other uh 10, 10 records other, yeah uh i produced a record for the at- Taka quartet that won best chamber ensemble recording at the grammys last year it's a classical quartet but this record is a collaboration with electronic composers so like square pusher and uh, uh daedalus and Lewis Cole, and like we had, you know, did compositions of theirs. Um, uh, I did a record for Becca Stevens and the Secret Trio. Secret Trio is a, a, a trio of oud, clarinet, and kanun from Macedonia, um, Turkey, and New Jersey. What's the trio um,
1: again? Clarinet and what? It's New
0: Jersey.
2: Clarinet, oud, and kanun, which is like a, like a Middle Eastern auto harp, kind of. Um, oh, like interesting. Just similar to a Santur um yeah it's a, a really beautiful instrument so this is the car
0: from new jersey
2: <laughs> oh <laughs> exactly he's the oud players from new jersey he's uh his family's armenian um but but lived in turkey for hundreds of years and his father's a very very famous singer um onek dinkjian the oud, the oud players and ada dinkjian he's my, my oud teacher actually um and and are really incredible Trio, incredible. So we combined them with Becca Stevens. They met at the Ground Up Music Festival in Miami. Becca was like crying during their gig. So after the gig, she went up and and, and asked them to make a record at the behest of Jamie Haddad, who plays in Bo Kante and Paul Simon's band. It was his idea actually. Uh, and uh, so that was one. Those are the four that are done. Mine, the one with Bill, the Ataka, and the Becca Secret Trio one. Then next month, a record for C4 Trio, three uh, Venezuelan cuatro players um, and a bass player, Uh, then a trio with Pedrito Martinez and Antonio Sanchez, two incredible percussionists. I referenced Uh, Antonio in our last uh, interview. Antonio is one of
1: the greatest rumors I've ever seen in my life. I wanna jump in, Do you seem drawn to trios. Is there something, House of Waters is a trio as well. Is there something about trios that you have a particular affinity for?
2: No, well, for, I think for which you have an I mean, I, for which I have an affinity. I, I yeah. think it's, um, I think it's just actually COVID to be honest, why this is like duo, trio, duo, trio, just because it's easier. You know, I mean, we're also going to do a new Bocante record in July. We're also going to do nice. a new Snarky Puppy record in September. Um, so, so those are larger formation, albums, but they're pushed later in the year because of all the COVID crap, you know? So, right. sure. um, but I'm actually, yeah, I'm really getting into this idea of smaller formations that I wasn't into until this tour with bill that forced it out of me that like, man, this is like really fun. There's so much freedom playing with small groups. Uh, so I think that's going to stick around, you know, for sure. Any house of waters on the, uh, no, I mean, I've actually never produced house of waters. They're just on our label okay um but i think they they're always making records so they probably will be making one i'm also doing a record for a uh, ganawa malam from morocco Hamid al Kasra and then uh, an, an incredible artist from india who sings and plays flute um her name yes. is nice vari joshri paul she's been playing a lot with dennis chambers and victor wooten and, and i mean incredible artists incredible we've been working on that record for a long time and we're finally going to record it so I mean, you know, lots of stuff from different parts of the world, which I'm excited about.
0: We would only expect that from you. Oh. Of course.
2: (laughs) Well, uh, you've uh, created this huge,
1: wonderful fan base, uh, many of which are in Atlanta, one of which is Jake Funkmayor, who helped you with uh, 17,
2: The release 17, helped you pick music. Uh, Do you know Jake? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's like, you know, if you had to put a bet on one person that would be at any given gig, it would it would it would be Jake. You know, I mean, you and Jake is like this incredible. I mean, I can speak candidly because this is private, right? Um, no, that you know, Jake Jake is a rare breed in that he's like one of those kind of music super fans that you see at every gig and that knows every song by every band, but he's not like like, a all it. yeah, he's always cool to be around and to talk to. And he's not like, we have this, uh, w- one of our tour managers st- started using this term I, that she heard from a band uh, that she calls people like these people punishers, like people that come up a- after you, after a gig, you know, and they start <sighs> talking to you and they don't stop talking to you, you know, and they're like, you know, And and it's at a certain point, it's like charming, and then it reaches a point where it's like, man, like woo, you you know. You met
0: Rob, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we call it gauzing. One of our guests gave us the term gauzing. You guys, you guys.
2: So we call it gauzzing. Gauzing, yeah. We also call it getting getting broed down because it's almost (laughs) all almost always a male, you know. Uh, you know, it's like, bro, bro, tonight, bro, when you did that transition from the bro, you know, this thing. Um, so, uh, but Jake is heard, like, the, for the record, that? I'm the opposite of that. I tend, I
1: tend to get away from backstage unless I'm doing an interview. Seth's just talking out of his ass. I just uh, actually I it's, I more, just it's like, more Seth. Seth is always getting in her face. I want to do this. I want to do. This, I want, to do I want to be on Jamila Feud, you. you want to do this. You want to do that. It's actually more appropriate to
0: him. Well, I don't do that anymore. Now it's more like, hey, so a ground up music festival. If you want to have a, you got a charity you want to raise money for, yeah, then I'll do that. There like, you
2: go. That was for the children. I he is the option it. there. He's the best opportunity you'll ever find. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, but, uh, but Jake is that guy, you know, Jake is that guy that's the opposite of the Punisher or the, uh, what was your, what, the gauze?
3: Awesome. Or
2: uh, or the gauze or a bro downer, you know, like he's just like super cool, you know, and, and to the point where we called him because I was slammed in this particular moment when we had to choose 17 songs that we that we had played live during 2017 at various uh. concerts to put on a record. Um, that's why the record's called 17. And like, basically, you know, the label called me and said, hey, can you sit down and choose your 17 favorite songs of like, you know, 140 gigs, you know? And I was like, I really don't have the time just to like sit down and listen to all that stuff. So the label thought like, well, can we call someone who's probably listened to every single one of those gigs? And everybody was like, Jake. Jake. <laughs> yeah, and he amazing. put so he heart, Jake. He put his heart and soul into it. go ahead. I'm sorry. Man, this guy, incredible. I mean, he sent these picks, and every every pick I listened to, I was like, God, that's that's like an exceptional performance compared to the way we normally play that song. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he was he was he, so plugged into it. It was deep. I mean, I really can't thank him enough for that so yeah he's like the model fan you know but it's
0: also good i like that you went directly to him as opposed to throwing it into like your fan base and like asking everyone because then you get too much no right no
2: No, much better with someone a trusted curator
0: you know yeah people should check out his website
1: funkcity.net there's all kinds of video and wonderful stuff and he keeps up with everything and he's all over the ground up world. Um he said that we should ask how your increased Middle Eastern and African influences. How is that are they is that music becoming more and more of an impact on you?
2: Oh yeah. I mean uh I mean specifically the uh I'm sure he, he's referring to basically the, these Kurdish and Turkish and Moroccan instruments that I've been studying over the last couple of years. And yeah, I mean like I, I can definitely say I've never enjoyed more um, being a student, you know, than now, uh, just like any chance I have to practice or to take a lesson with somebody is like gold, um, after, you know, 17 years of basically emailing people.
0: (laughs) When you approach a lesson like that, though, I'm curious, do you, do you feel like, wow, when you see the instrument and what the potential is and and you've heard the music. So you're like, do you approach it? Like, well, I want to learn this so I can play it differently than it comes from, or do you go and say, I want to learn how this is traditionally played.
2: I, I, I go, I do the second thing. I, I like, I have rules with my teachers that said like, that are like, don't ever teach me anything that hasn't been played for 50 or 150 years, you know, because I'm American. Like, like it's my nature to like, screw with things. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, like, you I know, I, I work, I work often in, folkloric circles you know with whether it's fado or you know uh lando or flamenco or you know carnatic music or whatever like i I work often with um with folkloric musicians who grew up playing this style of music that's existed for a very long time and that's like all they ever knew for a very long time and then they were exposed to a wider world of music and oftentimes not always but oftentimes they have a pro the problem of like conceptualizing music outside of that box that they lived in their whole life. And I feel like as Americans often, we're struggling with the opposite problem of like, how can we connect with something deep and old, you know? Because most of the music that we play or that we're attracted to is like, you know, constantly, it's relatively recent and constantly evolving, dramatically evolving, you know? Um, And so, I know myself and I know that it's my nature to take things and contort them to the way that I want. So it doesn't serve me for someone to teach me in lessons like that way. It serves me for them to teach me like the real hardcore, authentic shit, like don't play that note with that finger because everyone will realize that you're not from here if you do that. So do it the right way, you know?